Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God be and abide with us all this day and every day. Amen. This morning we are going to start a new series for the next several weeks talking about Jesus being revealed, the revealing of Christ, Christ being made known through the season that we call Epiphany. Epiphany, typically the 12th day, traditionally, 12th day after Christmas, January 6th. So we're still a little short of that, but the day of Epiphany is when the Magi are remembered showing up. And because it's the first story after the birth narratives of Jesus, well, it fits really well, oh, except for the whole, no, no, this is right. The, the Magi show up and the whole, like, the, the Herod sending the, the soldiers back to Bethlehem is a little bit later. Most of the time, a lot of the time, that's like right away after Christmas. Like, yay, baby Jesus is born, and now we're going to remember that Herod sent the soldiers in to wipe out everybody to and under. Um, so we're going to look at the Magi first, which is actually how Herod knows where to send them. Right? So we're going to talk about the Magi today just as the beginning or the launching point into this whole time of Jesus' identity being revealed because the Magi show up and they seem to know, right? They seem to know some things that they're not expected to know. It's a mystery. Today we're going to talk about the mystery made known, mostly actually looking at Paul's writing to the Ephesians for our framework for this meditation. You like mysteries. I remember when I was young, uh, my sister would read novels. She read a lot. Um, when we would go on family vacations, I would look out the window and she would read. So I learned how to navigate things, and she read a lot and learned a lot of vocabulary words and things like that. Reading is important. It's good. So she read, I think, some Nancy Drew novels, typically aimed at, you know, the, the younger reader. Um, when I was probably about fifth grade, I read Encyclopedia Brown. Anybody remember Encyclopedia Brown? Okay, a couple people. So there's, you know, the mystery um, kind of novel for young people. If you go to the library or the bookstore, you can find sections by Agatha Christie or Arthur Conan Doyle. Television shows dedicated to mysteries have abounded. Perry Mason, quite a long time ago. All those CSI shows, CSI everywhere. True crime stories, even sci-fi has mysterious elements to it oftentimes, right? There's movies, the thriller, the fantasy, the science fiction, even horror movies contain sometimes mysterious elements. And if you're like me, you like to solve the puzzle. Is that how you watch a mystery? You're trying to figure out the who done it before they tell you who done it, because that's the fun of it, right? Can you pick up the clues? Can you figure it out? Many times the first person you're suspicious of is just there to throw you off, right? Like, hmm, that guy seems a little shady, so it probably is him. But usually the first guy that seems a little shady is okay. <laughs> In books or films, foreshadowing and character development help as we process that, as we try to figure it out. But in life, oftentimes it's different. Life is full of mysteries, right? There's a lot of mysterious things that 
we might experience or we may have lived through. Um, and a mystery generates curiosity, speculation. A couple months ago, Gina and I went to the mystery spot, which is kind of fun. It's over by Santa Cruz. If you have, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the bumper stickers. You can't miss them, right? They're everywhere. Because at the end of it, they give you at least one, if not stacks of bumper stickers so that you will freely advertise for them so everyone else in the entire region can know that this place exists. The mystery spot where, you know, it's on a hill and mostly I think it's optical illusion and a little bit of trickery that's going on there. But it's fun and it was a fun place to go. Speculation is fueled when you experience a mystery and resources are invested in, in solving the mystery and figuring it out. What's the origin of this? What's behind it? Knowing the how and why of something like the Titanic sinking, it required investigation and interviews and even, you know, more was learned as the wreckage was discovered and looked at you know, with little submarines and whatever that went down to check it out. That was a mystery that existed for some time, but now we pretty well know that it was James Cameron's fault. Thank you for that. But then there's many mysteries that are n never solved. There's a whole show dedicated to unsolved mysteries, right? And so they can go through and they tell you all these details. And if you, if you watch it with the expectation that most mystery things have, right, and they just trail you along and they give you the evidence, they tell you the things, and then most of the time, you know, there's the revelation of this is the person or this is the event or this is why this happened. Unsolved mysteries, they do all the same things. And so you get this, okay, now we're going to find out why. And then, well, okay, that's fine. But that show deals with crimes, with even like UFO sightings and paranormal things, right? But then there's other mysteries that will never be solved, like why is fruitcake a thing? Especially at Christmas. Like I don't know that I've ever met anyone that says, I love me some fruitcake, right? And I don't think it's the same as it used to be, at least it isn't, you know, in our circles of, in which we move. I haven't seen it at a party in a long time. Who thought, I think it's pronounced civet, civet coffee would be a good idea. Do you know what that is? Some people do. Not everybody does. So here's how you make it. You find partially digested civet cherries that have been through, or coffee cherries that have been through this little cat-like animal called a civet, if I'm pronouncing that right. Been through, meaning they ate them, partially digested them, and now you can find them. You can do the math and figure out where you find them. And then let's make coffee out of that. Who thought that would be a good idea? That's a mystery to me, right? I don't know that I would look at that and go, hey, you know what? And who pays like $80 a cup for this? I, I, that's a mystery too. <laughs> like, wow, okay. I mean, it's rare, but it should be. <laughs> Who's, who decided to try to make lutefisk? Now, you know, Norwegians, if you're, or Swedes, which one is it? 
or both. I don't know. Um, if you're offended, I apologize. Because I know that's a thing, right? It's a national, you know, there's pride in that, Ludafisk. But that's the fish that's like soaked in lye, right? And it gets all gelatinous. I, I've never had it. And that is not a mystery. I know why I've not had it. Many times the why is a bigger question than the how or the what, right? Why? Why do we do this? Why do we think this way? Why do we make these things happen? Why is a big question. We understand what, not necessarily why. Christmas, in fact, has its own mystery surrounding it. There's a lot of mysterious elements, a lot of things that don't make sense about even Christmas, let alone, you know, December 25th when we celebrate. There's a lot of speculation that that was not actually Jesus' birthday. That's debated. And most people believe, or scholars believe at least, that Jesus was born sometime around 4 B.C. So Christ was born four years before Christ. Well, we can figure that out because the date system was done a long time later. But the star that the Magi followed that's in our reading from Matthew 2 today, that's a mystery. Because you have Magi from the East, you know, people who study the stars and that part makes sense, but, you know, the way that we depict it, in fact, it's on our pyramid uh, on the front of the altar. You got this great big, here, I'll move this so everybody can see. You got this great big star, right, over Bethlehem. If it were like this, like most people would have been like, something's going on. And it probably would show up in a lot of historical writing and, you know, evidence that there was this enormous ball of fire in the sky. So what was it really? And there's a lot of speculation to try to solve the mystery that, you know, when planets lined up and, you know, different things appeared in the sky, at that time would have been all called stars. And planets make sense because planets can move around in the sky. So that kind of makes sense. But we're not 100% sure what it was. But the mystery goes way beyond Jesus' birth and the initial visitors that showed up. The shepherds, the magi, all the people who came to Bethlehem or to where Jesus was. It goes way beyond that. Why the incarnation? In the first song that we sang, there was a a phrase, oh, the mystery who could fathom God would leave his holy throne to, to come, to make us his own. That is a mystery. Why couldn't God simply gift humanity with salvation? Because it's all a gift anyway, right? The, the salvation that we have is a gift from him. Why couldn't he just do that? Well, we understand the holiness of God and how blood must be shed for forgiveness. And there's some explanations to it, but, but why the Son of God, who owed us nothing, took on humanity, took on flesh in order to live and to die on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago, how does that cover our sin? With crime TV shows, a lot of times the plot kind of goes like this. There's the, the initial um, description of 
how that worked, you know, what happened, what, what, uh, what crime took place, right? And then there's the initial investigation, and, and they're in there with their fancy cameras and computers and, right, taking pictures, and, you know, then they're back at the, at the high-tech station, right, with the screens on the walls that flash up ev all the pictures of everyone in their database, trying to get that match, right? And all those things happen, and they go, you know, kind of step by step through the process. And there's, you know, maybe a clue that they go and get, and then they come back. And they go investigate and, in, and interrogate somebody, and then they come back. And then it goes to commercial. And you kind of know, right, that after the commercial, especially that last commercial, it, you know, that's when we're going to find out. That's when things are going to be revealed, most of our mysteries in life don't work quite that simply. They don't follow that kind of cadence. But we know this. God revealed the ultimate mystery. All the mysterious things about Jesus that wouldn't make sense to us, that we wouldn't figure out, that don't really have a lot of clues, like that we could go investigate. God revealed that mystery. Paul was a recipient of revelation. We saw these words in Ephesians chapter 3. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. To Paul, it was revealed. And he says the similar thing in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Understand Paul's story. This was Saul, who was a persecutor of the church a member of the Pharisees, educated and steeped in Jewish tradition and expectation. The Messiah was expected, but Jesus wasn't. The one who was to come was in the promises of God, but the way that Jesus did it, not so much. It was a mystery who would come, and the way they solved the mystery sure didn't match the one who came because they were looking in the wrong place, which is why it takes magi showing up and saying, hey, where's the king for the scribes and, you know, teachers of the law and whatever at Herod's request to look into the scripture and go, oh, Bethlehem. It's a mystery, too, that none of them seems to show up. If the Magi show up and say, where's the one to be born? And you look in your scroll and you say, oh, it's in Bethlehem of Judea. That's where he's going to be. Do you think, it's like roughly six miles or so, right? That's not a short walk. But the one born king of the Jews, who's fulfilling prophecy, being born in Bethlehem, and you got people saying, hey, there's a star. We want to go visit. Maybe. Would you, would you be curious? <laughs> Would you think, hmm, if this is it? And so from the beginning of his life, the people who seemed to know or should know didn't. Missed it. Missed out on the mystery. So Saul, one of the Pharisees, likely not in that scene with the Magi, but later on, as part of the inner circle of religious people in Jerusalem and the surrounding area was persecuting the church and on the road to Damascus Jesus completely changes the path of his life 
And then he goes out in the wilderness, and he spent years, mostly by revelation, learning the gospel. Galatians describes encounters uh, in Jerusalem, one at three years and then 14 years. Uh, Other than that, it seems that Saul, then Paul, was learning directly from God in in a way of revelation. And he was given a ministry to the Gentiles. That means non-Jewish people that don't have this background and this heritage, that weren't steeped in these traditions that Paul himself was completely ingrained in. People who were not really expected to be heirs of the promise or the promises of God. The Magi were unexpected. Gentiles, in fact. People whose present there would have been seen by Jewish leadership and authority as confusing at best. So it's a mystery. And here's part of the mystery. We receive the promise of Jesus. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 3.6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The word promise here is referring to a covenant relationship between God and his people. God had spoken promises to his people. Over the course of the Old Testament, we see several of them. Prominent ones were spoken to Abraham. Well, first, Abram also goes through a name change. seems like a lot of the important people in the Bible have a change of name. Abram, who becomes Abraham, gets this promise of land, of descendants, and of covenant relationship with God forever. So that's hundreds of years before Jesus comes. And those promises are still ingrained into the expectation of Israel, who they were, where they were going, their importance for the world, etc. And a covenant special relationship with God was part of that as, as the 12 tribes, as this specific people group, as descendants of Abraham. And outsiders, well... Not so much. And there were reasons for that. To David, there was a promise made that a king would be from his descendants. David, being a descendant of Abraham, okay, this makes sense. And that king would reign forever. So there's expectations for Israel of things that would take place of promises that would still be kept, of things that were still waiting to happen, of prophecies that had not yet been fulfilled. And in the first century, in Jesus' time, and then in the time of Paul, they're still waiting and they're still looking and they're still figuring out these promises and prophecies. But to Paul, it was revealed that Jesus' grace is for us, non-Jews, co-heirs of the promise of Christ, that he paid for the sin of the world on the cross. It's part of the message that Jesus brought, that his grace was for all, 
that the forgiveness of sin was for anyone. And he did, in fact, pay for the sin of the world on the cross. So you and I are included in that. Included, grafted in to the body of Christ, connected into the family of God through faith in Jesus. We, somehow, here and now, are part of that. Heirs to the promises that were made hundreds of years before Jesus, who was 2,000 years ago, and recipients of that grace. You ever look at the night sky? Speaking of stars and magi, you ever look at the night sky and, and see just, I mean, we don't see a lot of it here with the light pollution and there's not a lot of stars visible, but maybe you've been out where it's really dark, where there's clear air. And we're looking up at the night sky is like it's just covered with stars. And have you felt that insignificant feeling? That ha- how am I important to God? How am I known by him? Does my life make a difference? Does, do I matter? You matter. You matter to the king of the universe who put those stars in place, who led by those stars magi to come and visit the one who was born. And that birth 2,000 years ago, the one who was born to be the king was born for you and for me. It is a mystery. Why do we matter to God? But we do because he promises that we do, because he says that we do, because he says that he loves us despite of all of our flaws, all of our problems, all of our, our faithlessness that we have participated in willingly, because of our human condition that we still carry. In, in spite of all that, he loves us. And he sent this one named Jesus for us. And we understand this mystery by faith. It takes faith to understand many things. Right? A lot of scientific ideas uh, can't really be observed or proved. And so it takes a level of faith to believe in them. News stories, a lot of times there's pictures and witnesses, but sometimes the way that the witnesses' stories are told don't really agree. And we have to figure out what do we believe about this event. Even court cases, similarly, when it comes to beyond a shadow of a doubt, that can be tough, complicated. Who do you believe? Which witnesses are credible? Faith in God gives us understanding of what he has done in creation, in the incarnation, in the life and death of Jesus on our behalf and it having an impact on us and in his active work in our lives. Faith gives us an understanding of those things. We understand by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, this great faith chapter, says by faith we know this, by faith this happened, by faith we understand, by faith we understand these mysteries of God in Christ. And faith in Jesus doesn't just understand them, but receives those promises. And his promises are for everyone. 
His promises are for everyone. Through faith in Christ, all people have access to God. Peter says it this way in Acts chapter 2. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So all believers in Christ are members of one body, one church. All believers in Christ are heirs of everlasting life, and all who believe receive the forgiveness of sin, life, and salvation. So our job is to proclaim the mystery. Proclaim the mystery. Sometimes if we're watching some kind of, you know, it isn't necessarily a mystery, but maybe a movie that has the progression of character development and maybe a mystery uh, about the, who's responsible for or where is this going, right? The plot arc. Sometimes if we figure out the plot arc, if we think we do, if we have suspicion, I think this is how it's going to go. We say that, right? We announce that to somebody. You ever do that? You ever spoil it for somebody else? I've done that. You know what? This person is the person, that guy, he's going to. I'll do it this way with the Titanic movie every time it comes on. Hey, the ship's going to sink. That's not a mystery, though. We should proclaim the mystery of Christ. We know the end of the story. We know where it is going. We know how this takes place in the end. And Paul said this to the Ephesians in verse 10. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. We can proclaim Christ. We can share this mystery with people around us by living a life that demonstrates faith in Jesus, by telling others about his amazing, saving love that we have received, by supporting the outreach and mission efforts of the congregation. Because when we in the church proclaim the mystery of Christ's salvation, more people can know, more people can believe and receive this gift of God's grace. The salvation that belongs to all who believe. It's a mystery that's been revealed. Let's reveal it to more people. Amen.